Welcome to Officer Wellness with Brian Manley, a candid and informative discussion between retired police chief Brian Manley and law enforcement leaders about the many aspects of officer wellness. We hope you enjoy this episode and find it informative. Officer Wellness is powered by Off-Duty Management. You mentioned something in, in, in your earlier comment, too, uh, when we talk about all the components of health and you talked about fitness and nutrition. And I know there's a lot of misconceptions about fitness and nutrition. I've heard you speak about that before. Your thoughts on um, from, a you know, your medical expertise, but also the realities of, of what a cop's life is trying to eat when most people are sleeping and there's right. very, uh, options out there. Putting all of that together, your thoughts on fitness and nutrition within the profession and, and what do we need to do? Oh, my God, Brian, we could we could have hours of discussion on this topic. So the problem that we've seen is is it stems from multiple issues. Let, let me just I'm going to just sort of take this and, and run with it. One of the problems that we've seen is upon graduation of the academy, fitness has often been used as a punishment. It's an old drop and give me 20. We saw it in the military. Yeah. Um, so officers oftentimes in years past when they got out of the academy fitness was associated with with a negative outcome so we had officers who wouldn't participate in any exercise that and they were not held to any standards so we had a culture that not necessarily that was not necessarily a fit culture now this has changed over the years um we now know that the proper way to sort of instruct and we see it in the military as well is fitness isn't used as a punishment it's used as a motivator the best way to motivate people is to have the instructors act more as coaches in this regard not in all the regards but in this regard and fitness isn't used as a punishment the second component is if you ask anyone who graduates the academy they have an understanding that they're going to need to qualify with their duty weapon with their taser, with less lethal uh, shotguns on a regular basis. There's no question. And it's departmental specific, but every department has a qualification standard. Well, now every department has a fitness standard. So, and I shouldn't say every department, many departments have fitness standards. And if an individual graduates the academy and knows, okay, I'm going to be held to a standard proficiency for my firearm, for my taser, for my de-escalation training and for my physical fitness. It's something I understand and I'm coming into this profession with a different outlook than some of these people who've been patrolling for 25 years who say, well, you know, I don't need to do this because no one can tell me I can't do my job. I've been doing this for 25 years. So we've changed the mentality. So that's the first importance of, of fitness. The second thing in regards to fitness, and I'm going to separate fitness and nutrition because you can be overweight and fit or you can be of normal weight and not be fit so they overlap but they're two separate issues so there's been plenty of information that's been out there that shows um, in two different regards not only do fit officers live longer okay there's no question that people who exercise have a mortality rate which is lower than those who do not exercise that's been proven in the literature but there's also been studies done by the fbi which has been used by texas dps which has been shown that individual officers who are not in good shape were found to be of higher, they, they were they were considered prey and easier to assault 
than officers that appeared fit. This is based on interviews done by the psychological profiling team at the FBI that interviewed inmates who were who were, vict, who were um, convicted of felonious assault on peace officers. And without question, they identified officers who they thought they would be able to have a physical confrontation and be more successful. This has been so powerful that the Texas Department of Public Safety instituted a couple years ago what they call the command presence statute, which means any officer, male, has to have an abdominal circumference less than 40 inches. Over 40 inches, you can't wear the uniform anymore. Women, it's 45 inches. So we now know that officers who are fit are also less likely to be assaulted. You take that and you add to it the fact that fit officers have a lower need to use deadly force. There's plenty of case studies that have been shown that individuals who are less fit are more prone to use deadly force and therefore more prone to liability. So not only does fitness keep the officers healthy and alive, but it reduces individual and departmental liability and it also increases their ability to perform their job by increasing their command presence. So fitness is a tremendous portion. Now, the question, of course, is, well, how do you keep a population of officers fit? There's a few options. In the military, we'd form up and we'd run. Well, that doesn't work in a police department. Can't do it. Now, you can do it in specialized units. The SWAT team can go out and run every day if they want. They have the time. But you can't do that for your patrol officers. You can't do that for the detectives. So what you do is you offer a fitness standard with both a carrot and a stick. If you meet the standard, and it doesn't matter what it is, it could be running. Here in Texas, we've been very um, very ahead of the curve adopting the concept to rower because we know that's a very good uh, determinant of aerobic and anaerobic function. It could be an agility course. But if you meet a standard, you get, and you know, we're cops, we love little medals. We get a little, you know, we love a medal. Many departments give a cash incentive. When I was at Cedar Park, we gave our officers $150 a month if they were able to hit 70% of their standard for fitness. So it's a little extra money, plus it's a it's a little bit of a pride because you get to wear a ribbon. It says, hey, I'm, I'm able to meet my fitness standards. For those who don't make it, there's a consequence, and that is remediation. And as most departments have found, as long as the individuals are making progress in that remediation, that's all they want to see. They, we know this. You can't take someone who is not fit and expect them to pass a fitness test and if not punish them. What we have to do is say, okay, let's get you there. So a lot of departments will have um, physical trainers, uh, um, exercise physiologists that will work with those individual officers to help get them on a program of exercise, which will get them fit. So there's remediation. For those people who are unable to remediate those people who don't try it really becomes a critical decision from the executive leadership and that is is this individual able to perform his or her job function because we know in our profession physical fitness is vital we live in a situation where we often have to have physical fitness to perform our job so at some point it becomes a fit for duty analysis. And again, it's very departmental specific. I'm speaking sort of in, in very abstract terms, but this is what we have. We have a, a stick and a carrot system to motivate our officers to stay fit. Then in that regard, if you do that, we always have the question, well, if you expect me to maintain a fitness standard, I should be able to be given time to work out. 
So it's a much more complex decision. And how do you do that in a department that's undermanned, understaffed? It's it's very difficult. But these are the discussions that need to be had. So fitness needs to be ingrained in our troops early. It needs to be accepted. It needs to be rewarded. And if it's not, the consequence can't be severe. The consequence can be, okay, hey, let's work with you. Let's get you where we need to be. So that's the fitness component. In terms of the the nutrition component, which what I like to call is maintenance of an optimal weight, um, we have a we have a problem in I tell you in Central Texas. In the United States, there is a higher obesity rate in law enforcement officers than there is in the civilian sector. In Central Texas, the obesity rate for police officers, and this isn't overweight, this is obesity is 84%. We have an obese profession, and that obesity stems from multiple different things. Fitness is one, but the other thing is diet. And you mentioned in this introductory comment, we eat a diet of convenience. We don't plan. And you go, you have 10 minutes between calls and you run through McDonald's or fast food or whatever it is. That is not the way to do it. What we have to do is have our officers understand more so than the specific diet plan, because it doesn't matter in terms of several different diets have been looked at and stacked next to each other. The And I have my preference, which I'll talk about in a second, but a low carb, a calorie restricted, a low fat diet, a vegetarian diet, a carnivore diet, they all have about the same effects from weight loss, not from a cardiovascular perspective, but weight loss. But what the key is, is planning. And what we like to ask our patrol officers, say, look, bring your lunch, bring your dinner. So you're not at a position where you have to go through a fast food drive through No, you're on a 12-hour shift. Bring enough healthy snacks, bring a meal, whether it's in a lunchbox or something that could be microwaved, because if you plan ahead, you do not have that thing in which you're starving and have to go through a fast food drive through That's the only way to successfully do it. In terms of the benefits of different diets, the the reality is what we found is the low-fat diet, which we thought was the best diet in the 1970s and 80s, turned out to result in a diet which was heavy in carbohydrates. So if you reduce fat, which is also reducing protein, you end up eating more carbs. So the example that I use is a plate of spaghetti with a couple of meatballs. You have all the spaghetti and a little bit of the meatballs. Well, reality is what we've learned over the years is that's been the central cause of this obesity pandemic that we suffered in this country. It's a carbohydrate-based diet. So we've learned now that a diet which is lower in carbohydrates and free of sugar is really the diet. We're less concerned about fat consumption than we were when you and I were going through the police academy 30 years ago. We're less worried about eating dietary fat, eggs. Now we know the best diet that's most appropriate, and no matter what you call it, whether you call it a Mediterranean diet, whether you call it a a, a paleo diet, it's a diet that limits carbohydrates and sugars and introduces more protein and fat. That's the healthiest diet. But regardless, what is key is planning. It's not going to the vending machine. It's not going through the drive-thru. It's taking a shift and dissecting and saying, okay, over this 12-hour shift, I'm going to have to have a few snacks. I'm going to bring a couple pieces of fruit. Um, I'm going to bring some beef jerky, a few pieces of cheese, and I'm going to bring a meal. 
And if you do that, our officers are able to get through that shift with enough energy, not starving and not with this driving need to run through the closest drive through to get a big gulp and a hamburger and french fries because it just doesn't work. No, that's I mean, pre-planning obviously gives a, give the officers the option to have that healthier choice, because as you well know, so few options exist sometimes when it's two in the morning and uh, and, and it's finally uh, a break in calls and you can go get uh, you can go get something to eat. So um, I, I want to circle circle back uh, to kind of where we began. And that is with the issue of the uh, the cardiovascular disease and and how far we've come. Where where do you think we're headed, and how do we spread the word and get more agencies to bring in a program like you brought to us seven eight years back? How how do we get there, and and where do you think this is headed? What do you think is is the next evolution of of what you're doing right now? So. Let's let me answer that this way. Where we are is in a place now where we're at least having the conversations. When we do show up and I look at the bottom right hand side of the whiteboard and there's a number written on that on that bottom right hand side of the number of officers killed so far that year. And for the last I've been doing this 30 years, the I've every year we try to keep it below 100. I can't remember a time in which we have. I literally cannot remember the below 100 number which we target, but I think it's attainable, and I think it's obtainable if we can eliminate heart disease. And the first step to doing that is to having is having the information out there, being able to get the information out, which is this type of media. So I tell you, when I sit on the Department of Justice Task Force, we sit and I sit with these phenomenal minds of physicians and scientists and psychologists, and we generate a 75-page paper that's published on some obscure website. Officers aren't going to read that. We don't have we have the attention span of a fruit fly. <laughs> what is going to happen is we have to be able to take this information and break it down, make it digestible. Audio presentations, just repeated hitting of this information saying, look, heart disease is a problem. Heart disease is detectable. So that's the first thing is awareness. The second thing are the tools to fix it. And those tools can be done in several different ways. Individuals can go to their primary care doctor and ask for these tests that I mentioned. There's companies out there, one of which I'm the chief medical officer of. It's called Sigma Tactical Wellness. Sigma as in, I, as in the sum of all parts. We actually go to police departments. I'm the chief medical officer. I design the program and we do a cardiac analysis on site. That's an option. But ultimately, the burden lies with the individual officer to say, look, if my command staff doesn't have the ability or the means to bring this type of program to me, I have to have the responsibility to go out and get it. A really good analogy, Brian, is, you know, years ago, before we standardized our first aid kits, all the old timer patrol officers had cobbled together their own stuff. Every cop had some sort of first aid kit with them, whether it was bandages tucked into their vest or something in their pouch. They knew that they needed something. It just wasn't standardized. So they had the impetus to go out and get it. So what I'm asking is that our officers who are listening to this, the command staff that's listening to this will take this at heart 
and be able to provide this type of screening for their officers. For the officers who are listening who are unable to get it because of resource issues, are able to go out and get it on their own. And if we do so, I really think we can hit that below 100 number, which I've tried for the last 30 years to hope and pray that we were able to hit and we haven't been able to. But I do think it's attainable. And I do think it's attainable. And I do think this is something that um, will eventually hit the place of where we are with the Stop the Bleed campaign. You know, when I entered this business, as you did, we didn't carry tourniquets. But every officer I know now carries a tourniquet. That Stop the Bleed campaign has been so effective in the use of tourniquets and the ability for officers to apply them to themselves, to their partners, and to the public. That's not an issue anymore. My hope is that we reach that point. We're able to identify and eliminate the majority of the heart disease that's out there. You know, I think that's such a great point. You know, the IFAC kits that everyone's carrying and all the lives that have been saved with tourniquets. But the 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 point you were really making is that officers have always gone that extra step to take care of those they swore to protect. It's time to go that extra step for yourself. Go get the extra tests. If your doctor can't perform them like you said, then either find another doctor that can or find a private service that will afford that uh, opportunity. So um, it, it is time. And uh, the fact that this work has been done and we've been able to identify these key markers that point to the uh, the onset of of uh, what will likely be a cardio of uh, a cardio event for someone, um, it, it, the time is now. And I think the work that you've done, and and again, I'm I'm glad that you've joined me here today. And uh, for however wide of an audience this reaches, I hope that it continues to to get pushed out there. But beyond the officer taking the self-initiative like you just mentioned um i want to once again um highlight you mentioned your your other practice and and uh, sigma tactical uh, can you uh, can you give the uh the where people can find you online with that so sigma tactical wellness is a program in an agency that was developed to specifically screen law enforcement officers for heart disease. It's a program that is done on site at different police departments. It's a comprehensive screening, it's affordable, and it's incredibly effective. The company is Sigma, S-I-G-M-A, Tactical Wellness. Our website is www.iamsigma.com, I-A-M-Sigma.com. I'd urge your listeners to take a look. The information on that website is very valuable. Um, it has a lot of the information I discussed today is reproduced at that website, and it is an opportunity for agency heads, departmental leadership to bring in a program which is a comprehensive cardiovascular evaluation, nutrition, and exercise evaluation with resulting prescriptions to reduce officer morbidity and mortality. Well, Dr. Scheinberg, we don't use this podcast as a platform for people to market a product, but this is this is not a pro- this is a service. This is this is live saved, and so that's why I wanted you to to put that I out there. That. And, and I think that if anything, not only was the message important today, but I hope that this reaches 
an agency, multiple agencies that at minimum go to the website, but hopefully some of them will bring in the program because as you and I well know, it will definitely improve lives and likely save lives. So um, I can't thank you enough for, for spending the time that you have with me today. And as we wind down, I just wanna give you any, any final opportunity here if there's anything that you wanna add in closing. I want to add one thing, and it's it's not directed towards anything we've talked about, but as you thank me, I want to thank you, because if you hadn't given me the opportunity eight years ago to walk into the Austin Police Department and say, look, as a, at that time, a former police officer, soon to be a current police officer again, given us a chance to start looking for this stuff, we would never be here. So a lot of what we've done really stems from the executive leadership at the Austin Police Department seven or eight years ago when you gave us a chance to come in and start analyzing these factors. And for that, I am very grateful. Your open eyes or your willingness to embrace some of this stuff, which was at that time really beyond the scope, was an effort to save so many lives down the road and I got to tell you, Brian, I, we couldn't have done it without your open arms that day. So a lot of what we do is is traceable back to the time that we spent on the fifth floor conference room, you and the other chiefs, and that you gave us an opportunity to look at our officers and try to make them healthy. And for that, I am very grateful. Well, I thank you for that. For whatever small role we may have played, I am just we're uh, just grateful again to see where the program is today and where it's going to go. So yeah. Dr. Scheinberg, as, as as a friend, as a peer, uh, and hell, as a patient, uh, thank you very <laughs> much for, uh, for what you do and keep doing it. And uh, thanks again for joining us today. That's my pleasure. Be safe, Brian. Thank you. You've been listening to Officer Wellness with Brian Manley, powered by Off-Duty Management. Off-Duty Management provides off-duty job administrative services and comprehensive liability insurance to officers and agencies at no cost. For more information on Off-Duty Management, visit offdutymanagement.com.